coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Tuesday to you. So many things to touch on today. In the back half of the show, we're going to have Jeff Hubbard on from the Cobb County Association of Educators. He'll catch us up on the Katie Ruderly story. And by the way, the Cobb County Board of Education, the CCBOE, is going on a book banning binge. So we'll catch up with all that. It, 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 it takes your breath, but there's plenty to catch up on there. First things first, though, I want to speak with local, state, nationally, and now world-renowned journalist, George Cheedy. George, how are you, buddy? I'm excellent. I'm tired, but I'm excellent. <laughs> right. Well, you I had some... I can't tell you how much I just want to nap right now. But, but you had plenty of time while waiting to not testify just a week ago. Did you not get a nap at the courthouse? You would think. You would think. <laughs> but Jeff Duncan was there, and I would have felt judged. I understand. Yeah, you, well, when you're sitting next to Jeff Duncan with that great hair... And I think you and I go to the same, yeah, we go to the same barber, Schick or Gillette, yeah. <laughs> depending on who's at the chair. Anyway, yeah, when you're standing or sitting next to Jeff Duncan, you've got to be self-aware. I get that. George, there's so much to catch up on. And I've been saying this to a lot of people. Um, I am fundamentally impressed with Jeff Duncan. And having spoken with him for a little while, like even more so. I, told, I understand how he got elected. Mm. I understand what he's doing now. Mm-hmm. Like he has, like we have an absence of transformational leadership in this country, mm-hmm. and he has the capacity for it. I think of him in a similar way, a little bit uh, the way I think of like even a Brad Raffensperger, and to some to some respect, and it really pains me to say this, even Governor Brian Kemp. There is a dearth of this caliber of republicanism that the nation has been missing for, uh, what would you say, seven, ten years, maybe? Maybe about ten years. Yeah, and it's um, it's it's gotten ugly over there. It has. And I think that's part of it is because there's a certain kind of politician, and I hate to use the word, but it's the right word, um, who looks at disarray on, like, in their, like, when they're looking at their ideological compatriots, mm. when they're looking at the people who, who are close to them ideologically, and they're seeing this rot, there are a lot of folks who have tremendous capacity who look at that and go, I don't want to fight that. I can fight the other guys. I don't want to fight you. Mm. Like, I just can't deal. And then they go into business, mm-hmm. or, they, or they stay very close to home, and they work on other things. And so we are robbed both on the left and the right, of the best possible leadership we could have. Right. And, and this is why I've paid a little bit of attention uh, of late to the Chris Christie campaign, because I feel like he is also one of those Republicans, one of the few Republicans left with any prominence whatsoever, that you feel like you can disagree with, but at least sit down and have lunch with and find some middle ground at some point in time. And his campaign is getting no traction, although he's second in New Hampshire. But it's, no, he's fine. Yeah. But I mean, he goes nowhere. And is it because he succumbed to the Trump movement and became part of it before abandoning it? I mean, do both sides of that faction see no correlation whatsoever between him and respectiveness? He so he kissed the ring. I mean, yeah. there's just no way around it. Yeah. He like he ran, he lost, he you know, he knelt and took the red girls, and that's it. The um like 
never mind folks on the left trusting nobody on the right does either mm. like so he's just done there's no place left for him right um and that's true for john bolton and uh mike pence uh the former governor of of south carolina whose name i'm forgetting nikki haley oh uh, thank you very much mm. i think that's the whole point isn't right. it yeah um, yeah and when you look at the dais that's about to get on the stage in Milwaukee, that's that's the predominance of them. Former Trump acolytes who now want to distance themselves from him, but they've got they've kind of got that spaghetti stain that the Tupperware has. It's not coming off. Right. Like if you if they lacked the the sense mm. not to trust him earlier. Right. Like if they why the hell should we trust them now? Like they've already demonstrated a lack of judgment. So if that's the case, if you're a pro-Trumper and you're looking at one of these people, it's like, well, I have the real thing in front of me. Mm -hmm. Why am I going to take you? And if you're a never-Trumper, you'll look at these guys like, well, look, you were opportunistic scum. Go away. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not. And I'm, I'm speaking as a very. I am. Please understand. I am trying to channel the the thinking of the right here. You're right. And I'm not actually of the right. right. So I could be, my sense of this could be off. Mm -hmm. um, but my problem, like from where I am, is uh, it leaves the left in this position where anybody who looks safe enough to win is, is what you'll support. And so there's this tremendous lack of adventurism, of experimentation, mm -hmm. of transformational leadership. We have huge problems in this country mm -hmm. that require some difficult decisions and some hard leadership. And we're not going to get that from the left either, because we're all afraid that if we juke left instead of right in the wrong moment, we'll end up with Donald Trump or something like it for four more years. Mm -hmm. And there goes the Republic. I've been and so you end up with caretaker governance. Mm -hmm. I've been a little concerned about that too, because, you know, I'm sure you follow this as much as, as anyone does, at least on the periphery a little bit. You, you see this uh, social movement coming out of say country music, for example, where this, this guy from out of nowhere has written a song that talks about his economic angst and uh, you know, the, the, the Richmond North of Richmond, et cetera, and so on. And there is still that populist movement that I tell folks on the left, don't ignore stuff like that because this guy says he's right down the middle, doesn't believe Republican v. Democrat one way or the other. He's just talking about the plight of the common man and don't dismiss it. Listen to it, lean into it, and try to speak to it. And I'm worried that we're going to run a, a little bit along the lines of the 2016 campaign that, hey, the economy's great. Things look good. Look at these indicators. And the American people are like, look at my, my take-home pay. Look at my household budget. And, and inflation is eating into it. Democrats can't afford to ignore that. I agree. I absolutely agree. And I think it's, I think that there's an argument that's being made on the right. And this, look, the guy calls himself a centrist, but he's more right than left. Right. Um, the, uh, but it's a real argument. It is a, it's an argument that the far right's making mm -hmm. that help, heaven help me for saying this. I am unwilling to dismiss out of hand. Mm-hmm. There is this, uh, there's a problem where uh, political elites, think about Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Stanford, the, the folks who, who made it, 
like they have the great test scores, did all the crazy stuff, tend to be the children of people who made it, mm-hmm. who tend to be the children of the people right. who made it. Yep. And so our power structure is just recapitulating itself. And if you're not in it now, you're kind of done. Your your upward mobility is is limited. And it doesn't matter if you're poor and black or white and middle class, you're still stuck. Mm-hmm. And, as, and if our living standards are being eroded by, take your pick, inflation, foreign competition, it doesn't actually matter if, like, the the right is wrapping that in an, in Nazi symbols or the left in rainbow flags, mm-hmm. like that's still a problem. And if we don't address that problem in a meaningful way, we're going to get extremist politics. And the extremism is the danger. Um, like, because long-term either, like if, if we don't, innovate in a way that's sensible we're gonna innovate in ways that are damaging mm-hmm. well i that's how let i the that's that's let me let me tell you i'm sorry Go I'm, I'm gonna interrupt you because i want to get to something that we you and i wanted to talk about all right which was the cop city stuff okay cop city here in atlanta um they're about to turn in 104,000 signatures incredible they'll have more over the course of the next month, mm-hmm. whether or not those count is something else. The people who are gathering those signatures are the activists that the Democratic Party is going to call on in a year to try to get Donald, uh, to try to get Joe Biden over the line in Georgia. And they're going to ask Biden, look, we had this very important local issue mm-hmm. that blew up in our face. We had Democrats fighting us, and you didn't do anything. Where were you when we needed you? And and the silence from Warnock, the silence from Ossoff, it's, it's deafening. So those activists are going to turn around and go, look, we're not actually radicals. We are the people who got you elected. Mm-hmm. You didn't come, come through for us when we needed you. We're going to go golf. Like, good luck in 2024. <laughs> I don't think they're going to go golf, but I, I, I do hear the sentiment. It, 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 brings, it brings to mind the, the, the realization that we, we learned of last night that, yes, the city of Atlanta is actually going to use signature matching, something that the Democratic Party fought vehemently against not all that long ago. Make it make sense. Andre Dickens personally described like the signature match technique they want to use as racist Ugh. and was praising our, our elected leaders for getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. I don't. So like the big question for me, the political question that I think remains unanswered, if not unasked is why Andre Dickens in the face of all of this opposition, which looks increasingly legitimate. Yep. Like it was initially dismissed as, fringy leftists who were anti-police, who were police abolitionists, and plainly it's not. Like, why is Andre Dickens so committed to this that there's no room for negotiation and that they're, they're willing to use whatever political and legal technique is, is available to them to thwart that? Like, do they not think that there is a political cost to that? Because I can see the political cost, and I'm a yutz. Mm. These guys are professionals 
who got elected, like they have to see the damage that's being done right now. And they're still doing it. I don't understand why. I think they just, at the very least, somebody in that building needs to level with someone like me. And if not me, somebody they trust and say, look, we cut a deal with the governor. The governor took Buckhead off the table. The, go- the legislature took the, the airport out of, a, out mm, of our mm. table. And so we're going to do this thing. Um, that would make sense to me. All of a sudden, all of this would be like less crazy. It would, be po- it, it would be politically sane. But that's not what we have right now. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. We are with George Cheedy, who almost, almost needed to testify. But the case against Donald Trump and his co-conspirators was so good that DA Fonnie Willis says, nah, fam, we good. Something along those lines. Yeah. How exactly was that worded to you while you were waiting to testify, George? So it was all, like, like being almost pregnant. <laughs> um, it was, you know what it was? It was fine. It was like, I'm glad I, on some very base level, I'm glad I didn't have to testify. Right. Because I, because I don't like the idea of being viewed as some agent of the state. Yeah. You're a journalist, like, I don't right. Work for Willis. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, I may have to criticize her her work. I do criticize her work, depends on what we're looking at. Right. Like I'm I'm working through this podcast yes. called King's Slime. And we sat down with her for an hour or two and talked about her prosecution of Young Thug. And there's some merit there, but there are also big legal questions about how it's being done mm-hmm. and why them. Um and like just the ex- enormous expense and effort that's necessary to get this done. Mm. Um, I need to be able to criticize someone yeah. like Fonnie Willis without having to wonder if I'm going to get dragged into court by her. Yeah, um, That's true. And I, I think that's part of the reason I didn't end up testifying. I think the, the managers of uh, the grand jury looked at where they were at 8.30 on Monday last week <laughs> with even one other person in the waiting room and said, we probably don't need them. Right. It's not worth, it's, it's not, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. We've got what we need. And I'm good with that. I was ready. I was there. Mm-hmm. but and, and I would have been very neutral and factual about what I saw, you know, and like when I was at the Capitol and saw the electors, like the Republican, I hate, I don't want to call them fake electors because it implies illegality. And I'm actually trying not to do that. Yeah. That's, that's for the courts to decide. Right. But I'm going to tell them what I saw and straight up. And it's the same story I've been telling for years. And then I'd get out of there and go watch a movie. (laughs) George CD joining us from the Atlanta objective. And so now that we are talking uh, about Trump and the, the, the reaction, of course, is churlish and petty. He is attacking Fonnie Willis. He's attacking Atlanta. And you've noted on Twitter that a lot of his attacks are erroneous, uh, as we would come to expect from him anyway, but on their, on their face. Yeah, they, they, have, they have no value on their face. He talks about what a crime-riddled city Atlanta is and how in effect, there's even, you know, here at the state level, Republicans who are now like wanting to use the new district attorney policy that they can, that they can uh, weaponize to take out local district attorneys. 
And now looking at Fonnie Willis with her 90% conviction rate, which kind of flies in the face of their law and order party mantra. But talk about the the the, the, the crime aspect that Trump harps on, that, that right-wing, white-centric, suburban, rural trope about inner-city crime. Happy to do so, because I've spent the last three years of my life looking at these numbers mm-hmm. and add the underlying reality of them. So, gentle listener, let me tell you exactly what's going on with crime in Atlanta. Um, crime had been falling for about 20 years, not quite as fast as the rest of the country, but fast enough where in 2019, Atlanta's crime rate was lower than it had been at any point in the last 60 years. Safer than when you were growing up. Mm -hmm. Safer when you were walking to school as a child. Like, safer, like people talk about, like, oh, no, I would never let my child play outdoors unsupervised. Like, when you did that as a kid, you were not as safe as a kid is today. Um, Or 2019, Mm -hmm. I should say. 2020 saw a huge spike in violence. Now, violence spiked all over the country. All over the country. It's like higher in Atlanta than most places. But even then, Atlanta only just barely cracked the top 20 cities for crime rates, mm-hmm. for violent crime rates. Since then, it's like given up most of those, those increases in violent crime. Mm-hmm. And the homicide rate has fallen 30%. In the last 12 months, it is one of the fastest decreases in violent crime anybody has seen anywhere in the country of a large city anywhere. And Atlanta today does not make the top 100 municipalities uh, for violent crime in the United States. That's the city that Donald Trump is calling crime ridden. And, and I look at that, and the entire purpose of that is this long-term attack on urbanism and black leadership. Right. The, 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 the racist right, and I'm going to call it that, the, the far right that uses white supremacy for political purposes is afraid and angry at the power that big cities have in this country. And so they must denigrate that in whatever terms they can, every time they can, with the subtext being, well, those black people run cities. Look at how bad they are. And you don't want to be that. And you don't want to let them tell you what to do. That's what this is. He wants to delegitimize that black leadership so that Somebody like Fonnie Willis, a black elected leader, is less legitimate when she hauls him into a courtroom. That's all that was. It's nonsense. It doesn't mean that Atlanta doesn't have a crime problem. What it does mean is that that crime problem is not something that Donald Trump's word is worth respecting when he speaks about it. Okay, I'm going to put a pin in that right there. We've got so much more to cover, but we're coming up against a hard break. We're with George Cheedy from the Atlanta Objective on Substack, also featured prominently in the new 
podcast called King Slime, following the Young Thug story. I've learned a lot about that. First two episodes are out on uh, the iHeartRadio and all the other podcast platforms that you can find the Ron Show on as well, by the way. Again, that is called King Slime. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Cop City. We'll talk a good good deal about George almost being asked to testify in the Donald Trump fake elector scenario. We also have Jeff Hubbard on standby. He is going to be joining us from the Cobb County Association of Educators. We got to talk Katie Rinderley and Book Banapalooza. They are going crazy in Cobb County. And if it's happening in Cobb County, you know it's happening in some other counties as well. That's all next half hour on The Ron Show here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Archived audio, blogs, social media links, and more, all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio. We're back with George Sheedy from the Atlanta Objective on Substack, also part of the King Slime Podcast Project, now on all your major podcast platforms, including iHeartRadio. World-renowned journalist covering everything from politics to business to crime here in the ATL. George, you said something in a tweet in response to Donald Trump's outright lie about crime in Atlanta. This statement I absolutely love. Uh, The most serious and most common violence incubates in poverty and inequality here. It plagues the dispossessed for whom legal recourse is often a privilege denied. But if you are employed, mentally healthy, and not in the drug game, your victimization odds are under 1 in 100,000. Well said. Well said. But doesn't, don't these, don't these, these statistics also sort of fly in the face of the push for the cop city public safety training facility as well? So yes and no. I mean, yeah, I mean, on a very basic level, the, the kind of spending that we do on policing, um, like the, I question the value of the next marginal dollar on policing. It's not that I don't think that there should be cops. We absolutely need police officers because we are awash in guns Mm. and they are the only people who are equipped to deal with that effectively most of the time. Yeah, like the city of Atlanta has got 520,000 people who live in it. Maybe 100,000 of them are poor Mm -hmm. by the standards that the federal government uses. Mm. Um, A bit more than that. Um, of that 100,000 poor people, 25,000 are not just poor, but extremely poor by the government standards mm-hmm. and destitute and dispossessed at virtually all of the violent crime in Atlanta traces back to that 25,000 people. Are we trying to reduce that kind of extreme inequality? quality and extreme poverty in Atlanta? Nope. Not really. Nope. Not but at all. We drop $60 million a year to administer the jail and $250 million a year on policing while the pre-arrest diversion initiative, and I sat on the design committee for this initiative, gets all of $5 million to operate. And we expect that to be able to handle all of this stuff while you've got $310 million plus going to policing. That mismatch, that imbalance, that's what the cop city argument is about. You know, why are we spending all this damn money on a training facility when we know what the problem is and we know the answer isn't necessarily about 
police training. Mm -hmm. That's the art. Now, I am, surprisingly enough, relatively moderate on all of this stuff. Like, my reporting has been fairly straight down the middle, like, on purpose, because I don't want people to accuse me of partisan this or that mm -hmm. when I'm writing about it. I think there should be a police training center. I'm not convinced that the place that they're building it is a terrible place. But the process has been undemocratic. Oh, God. Yeah, well, and, and the narrative, they just keep losing the narrative. They can't get on the right side of the public relations angle of this. They can't win over the hearts and minds of people who are on the fence. I agree. I think it's some of the worst public messaging I've ever seen. Oh, God. Did you see the video uh, that they released yesterday? Oh, my God. No, I did not. Oh, my God. You've got, uh, in fact, I retweeted it today. You, uh, you can head to uh, at Ron Show ATL. I'll go look for it. Oh, I didn't see the video. It's terrible. It's like one of those old school film strip things, only you don't hear the whirring of the projector in the background. It's awful. <laughs> oh, man. Right, so part of this is because the Atlanta Police Foundation has been deliberately silenced by the city. The city essentially told APF not to talk, right. that the city would handle all the, all the communications. Um, but even then, like the Atlanta Police Foundation is a private nonprofit organization whose operations are opaque and when I say opaque, I mean, are not subject mm -hmm. to an Open Records Act request. Right, right. Like, they're funding $30 million of this $90 million, and I can't tell you who's, who's contributing. I don't know what influence is being, is being purchased by that $30 million. Right. I don't know who's going to be able to march into the mayor's office and say, I don't like this cop that's harassing my business. Will you please have this person reassigned or fired? Like, I am skeptical of this because I have been a journalist looking at Atlanta for years and years and years and years and years. <laughs> and you cannot tell me that Atlanta's corruption problems have disappeared sufficiently for me not to look at $30 million being spent on policing by a private entity yeah. and not ask me ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. No strings attached. Come on. Exactly. Right. Well, also the, the question well, looms, the question looms like Fulton County wants to do their own public safety training facility for $17 million. And last I checked Atlanta and Fulton County share a lot of the same footprint. So why can we not collaborate? And I don't know, maybe be in city limits. What an excellent question. <laughs> I'm wondering whether or not Fulton County's decision is, uh, maybe that's the escape valve. Hmm. Maybe Fulton County is putting down a marker as a, as a message to the city mm. saying, if you want an out, here is an out. Mm. Because the, the city, the city's leadership has been absolutely committed to this idea right. that Cop City has to be, has to be constructed and has to be constructed in this place and in this way and with these financial conditions and in collaboration with this organization, um, in the face of the strongest political opposition at the grassroots, I think I've ever seen in my lifetime. Mm. The analogy that I'm, I'm seeing or hearing from people who are longer term political observers than I is with the presidential parkway politics. Yeah, that comes up a lot. 30 and 40 years ago. For those who are unfamiliar, uh, you ever like go on Freedom Parkway? I'm right by it. Um, the uh, I mean, and it's beautiful. Yeah. 
but it also is the compromise after, I want to say two decades, mm. political warfare that realigned the city's politics. I have to tell you, there are people like old hippies who live in Inman Park who are the last human beings you would think hate Jimmy Carter, but they do. And mm -hmm. I've never, I would have never picked them for it, but it was because Carter wanted this road to go by his, you know, library. And they're like, this is going to blow up our neighborhood. And so they fought and fought and fought and fought and fought. And it created this political coalition that turned Inman Park from, you know, a mildly disreputable part of town into this well-preserved community that's having tax problems because its property is so valuable. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, I mean, that that, that kept a, a, basically an interstate from bisecting that entire half of Atlanta. Yeah. I sense the Cop City stuff has the power to realign Atlanta politics in exactly the same way. I would not have said that six months ago. Very interesting. We'll continue to watch as that happens. I, 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 I'm of the mind that I think Mayor Dickens has actually been a pretty good mayor, except on this one issue, and it's going to destroy his electability if he decides to run for office again. George Cheedy joining us from the Atlanta Objective on Substack. Also, you hear him prominently as he's worked on the King Slime podcast. First two episodes are out. I saw it on iHeartRadio. Is it on all the major podcast platforms, George? That it is, and it's number eight on Apple I Apple Podcasts for Music Podcasts right now. Not to brag. I believe that that's ahead of mine, which is on all the podcast platforms, but can't quite crack the top 800. But I keep having George Cheedy on. Maybe that'll change. George, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate you joining The Ron Show today. Happy to do it. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. And I want to thank George Cheedy for joining us to talk Cop City and <laughs> Mega Mugshots forthcoming and his non-testimony and all that stuff. It's always good to catch up with George. It's always good to catch up with Jeff Hubbard as well, joining us from the Cobb County Association of Educators. And Jeff, I mean, I just figured we'd check in on you because there's just not a whole lot going on up there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being facetious, of course. We are in the throes. Uh, the aftermath of the Katie Rinderley termination, the tribunal last week said, no, she should probably keep her job. In fact, they vehemently said she should keep her job. They didn't not find her at fault for some minor issues here or there, but by and large, they decided she should keep her job. And the Cobb County Board of Education decided along partisan lines, no, that's not the way we're going to go. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you've spent some time over the last few days being disheartened about that. Absolutely. You know, sitting through the hearing, uh, through both days of the hearing, 14 plus hours, listening to all the testimony, all of the hearsay that was presented, um, that you know, should it go to appeal, I think actually will, would go quite well in Katie's favor. It was stunning that the board, even in their motion to dismiss Katie, clearly stated that they were dis dismissing the tribunal's report <laughs> and instead accepting the superintendent's recommendation. What that tells me is they didn't even bother going over it in executive session. And here's the other stunning thing. There was a alternative motion made, a substitute motion made by um, Becky Saylor mm. to actually hold off on the decision until they had had enough time for all of them to go through the material. <laughs> the timeline on this run was stunning. 
the hearing ended late on a Friday. Mm-hmm. The court reporter had to compile all the information, have it typed up, then delivered to the seven board members. In a 14-page, excuse me, 14-hour hearing, you're going to have hundreds and hundreds of pages of testimony to go through. Um, Trey Hutchins out of South Cobb District literally did not finish until 1.30 on the day of the board meeting. Mm. So apparently they didn't even receive it until that t- either late, late Monday or early Tuesday. There was no way they could have read all of those pages of information, then went into an executive session and reasonably have considered within a two-hour period um, and that was also with time for them to eat and do other legal matters during executive session, mm-hmm. come out with what anyone would figure to be a well-thought-out decision. And then the way how the motion came out, it was like they didn't even bother to consider everything that was in these hundreds of pages of documents and, more importantly, the fact that three retired Cobb County administrators who were handpicked to sit on this tribunal disagreed with the superintendent. These three administrators had over 100 years of experience mm. in our schools, and the board basically said, never mind. So it was stunning to see the partisanship that went on with that vote and even more stunning to listen to some of the people who presented during the public comments. Oh, I can only imagine I'm not so stunned about the partisanship. I'm just not anymore. I'm just completely numb to that. But if I will, this seems like the analogy of uh, a teacher handing a book out to the class and saying, I need you to read it over the weekend and give me a report on it Monday morning at first period. Mm -hmm. And the majority in her class didn't bother doing that but gave a book report and got an A anyway. Yeah. Basically, they were going to do what they were going to do. They right. were going to grade grade the recommendation, how they graded it, right. which was we're going, to, we're going to support the superintendent, whatever, mm. you know, um, completely disregard the, fi- the facts and findings in the tribunal report. And, you know, it was stunning, not from a political aspect, but just the fact that they apparently gave no thought or no deliberation to the 14 hours of testimony, that is just stunning. Um, I have to imagine if I were on that, that tribunal, I'd be pretty pissed. I'd spend all that time for nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly think that they wouldn't. And these were three highly respected administrators in the county. Mm. Um and so it, it's not like you're just putting somebody up there who was sitting there just to rubber stamp it. I mean, you could tell they took, took copious notes. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you could tell that when they were deep in thought into the testimony um, and even paying attention to what the objections were on hearsay and, and other motions. These are not three individuals who just sat there for a couple days to earn their pay, rubber stamp a decision. They really did what the charge was um, from the hearing officer, and um, it, it was just devastating um, to see that it was completely disregarded. 
And then with what occurred yesterday in Cobb County, <laughs> yeah, fill us in. has even angered and uh, frightened more people. Teach, teachers were dismayed on Friday. Mm-hmm. Monday morning, now you have the media specialist going, what the heck? And um, so many teachers and now media specialists in Cobb are having to self-censor what they have in the classrooms and their, and their media um, centers. It, it is stunning how they are having to self-censor things that, you know, they and we as, as the public have spent thousands of dollars on um, in order to not only teach the children how to read, but get them to learn the love of reading. And Ron, with these books that were pulled yesterday, it's, they speak primarily to our LGBTQ plus community. And they were pulled supposedly because of, as the school system put it in the email, graphic and obscene incidents of sex. And while these books do discuss such topics as finding yourself as a, as a young gay male, um, having sexual relations as a high school student, um, and the, the third book just literally being a how-to be gay if you are just finding yourself as, you know, uh, you know, man or woman who is a, or a transgender who is of that community. Mm-hmm. And so it is so devastating to our media specialists who have to go through thousands and thousands of volumes in their media centers that now they can be in trouble because of just one or two books. There's a process. There are policies. There are administrative rules. None of these were followed. He got fired on Thursday. There was a Cobb GOP women's luncheon on Friday that the superintendent and three of the four Republican members went to. Uh-huh. And then first thing Monday morning, boom. Huh. Yep. So I've not read uh, the, the, the two books in question are Flamer and the other one was called uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And the third book, and the third book that's been pulled out of several high schools is called This Book is Gay. Uh-huh. That's That's correct. Flamer is actually a semi-autobiographical uh, graphic novel right. by a gentleman by the name of Mike Chirado. He wrote it um, based upon his growing up as an um, immigrant American, gay Catholic, mm-hmm. and how he was bullied in his school days at school, but in going to uh, Boy Scout camp, he was always felt as being accepted in one of them because he was just a scout and he had um, he was a good scout apparently. Mm-hmm. And but in this year, the guys aren't talking about softball and swimming and all like that. They're hitting puberty. Yeah. And so what they're going through, how to try to prove their machismo to one another, and that actually involves homosexual slurs. Um, and the the and. The protagonist in the in the story, Aiden, tries to be like them, but he's getting more frustrated and upset because he knows that's not who he is. Mm-hmm. As a Catholic, he knows homosexuality is wrong, and he also knows that the crush that he has on his bunkmate in the same cabin mm-hmm. is wrong. So how do you deal 
with these feelings. Um, and it led to, and it talks about how it led to self-loathing, to um, suicide ideation. Right. And so finally, he understands as he's leaving camp and the conclusion of the book, life's just not going to be easy for him mm. as, as a gay Catholic male. Right. Um, and so the main issues in this book seem to be toxic masculinity and homophobia that the protagonist deals with. But that's not the problem um, they have with the book. No, they're saying that it is um, talking about uh, homosexuality and masturbation. Um, and so that was the objections that we are hearing that have been put forth. And also because this is a graphic novel, there are insinuations that this has graphic sex within it. Um, the kick in the rear on this is that it actually won uh, an award last year for its depiction of, of gay youth. And, um, but unfortunately... It is also the fourth most banned book in the United States school libraries uh, by the American Library Association due to its content of LGBTQIA content mm. and that claims that it's sexually explicit. The individuals that um, I've spoken with so far uh, state that, that it is not that bad. Mm. Um, when it was pulled forth for one particular uh, very conservative school district in Utah, the Alpine School District, the um, school board actually found that the average person said it would appeal to purian interest in sex. Um, but they also said it was patently offensive how it depicts nudity, sexual conduct, sexual excitement, sadomasochistic abuse or excretion. And then they said it doesn't have serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Now, this is one of the most conservative school boards in Utah, not to mention the United States. Mm. So clearly, you're going to have conservative areas that are going to pick up on this and hammer it. Right now, with the way the makeup is of our school board and with the heavy influence of the Republican Party within Cobb County, even though we are considered to be a purple county oh, you're overall. A, no, you're a blue county now. I'm sorry. I, you know, yeah. states, two, two, two Stacey Abrams terms, two president. You're a blue county. You just yeah. the, the local uh, elections don't reflect that. Well, the, the problem is elections do matter, yep. as you well know, Ron. Yep. yep. And until one of those seats can flip and turn the board blue, then people are going to have to be willing to stand up and speak up and speak out for what they believe in. Mm -hmm. um, during Katie's hearing, which was just god-awful, uh, the local GOP actually had half sheets of paper with comments already typed onto it oh that, people were just, that people were just literally getting up like lemmings and going up and reading. Which is and, cheating uh, too. That, that in school, that that would be cheating. You can't cheat yeah. off of other people's papers. You can't have somebody write your report for you. Oh my God! Well, <laughs> that's that's the top GOP <laughs> educational um, how they do things there at our school board meetings. And Jeff. what's interesting is our we have two locals in in our system, Cobb and Marietta, in our in CCAE. Right. The Marietta school system is actually as in regards to how the people are elected. They're actually more conservative than Cobb, mm. but you never hear anything there 
because when they take something, they actually follow their policies. Yeah. It goes to the it goes to HR. It goes to the superintendent. It's filed by the school. And then what's so surprising? The six board members, and you can tell in a heartbeat, even though it's nonpartisan, who's a Democrat and who's a Republican up there. Mm-hmm. They sit down and discuss things, and they bring out points. And so it is amazing that you have two school systems within this public school systems within this county. One does everything in their power not to be partisan. And the other one doesn't hide it. And that's what's scary now to our employees, our teachers, our media specialists. One false move, boom, you can be done. That's what worries me. Teacher retention is it, it's such a such a low, and I got to imagine that the uh, the vibe within the school system can't be all that positive well, for those. Here's things. here's the kick in the rear about that, Ron. Cobb County over the past two years has made our county the highest paying in Metro Atlanta and probably in the state. But I've had teachers telling me over the past couple of weeks, what good is money if you're always stressed out and you're always having to worry about what you say and how you teach and how you teach it? These people are professionals. They went to college to get a degree. There's such a thing called common sense. Now, I will say in the issue of Katie Renderley. Was there a mistake made? Tribunal said, yes, she made a mistake. But they also said she shouldn't have been fired. It's about trusting professional judgment. But also what's getting overlooked here, we're forgetting who actually will be reading these books, the children. Are we killing their love for reading because teachers are having to pull classroom libraries out? Are we... You know, killing the joy for anybody to even want to go to the media center because if they pick a book that their parent might not like, boom, complaint. What's going to happen? Should we have a process for books? Absolutely. We have a process for books. The problem, though, is, Ron, it is a, it, House Bill 1084 was a poorly written po- uh, law. Right. The, the divisive topics policy, the controversial issues policy in Cobb, are both vague in their wording. And that came out during the hearing. They literally had to give the definition from a Merriam-Webster dictionary as to what divisive and controversial was. But on cross-exam, they could not tell you what a divisive topic or controversial issue is because they want to keep it flexible, which is the wrong thing to do. Just as we tell students there are rules and regulations to follow, we need to know what those rules and regulations are, right. what is divisive, what is controversial. So as professionals, we don't make that error with our children. And maybe give the school systems some time to go through the books that they already have in their libraries. Or here's an idea, the book fairs before they come in as well. And set, set guidelines so that the book fair vendors know, don't bring that in here because we're, we're this way about that kind of book. And then the teachers aren't put in these positions like Katie Rinderley was put in. She, she, mm-hmm. she was, she was in a no-win scenario. The students wanted her to read the book. The book was right. purchased at a book fair, so she thought, well, clearly it must have already met somebody's guidelines or passed the filter, so I'm safe right. to read it. And here's the problem: nobody in no school system in no state goes through all of what Scholastic reads. And, he, and here's something tragic. I received a picture this morning from a parent, from a CCA member, dropped their child off at their daycare. Mm -hmm. 
the daycare is going to have a scholastic book fair. <laughs> and on the form, this daycare does not accept or endorse all titles put out for sale by Scholastic. Mm. Therefore, we ask you to uh, exhibit caution when purchasing books for your child. Mm. It has gotten to that at a preschool here in Cobb County. <laughs> oh my gosh. Never, never mind the kids on the margins or what it's like. You know, I think about like uh, when, when little African-American girls were able to buy their first African-American Barbie doll, what it's like mm-hmm. for a gay kid to pick up a book that he or she or they can relate to. That, that's the heartbreaking part. There, there's just this dismissivism on the whole for kids on the margin who need to feel some level of inclusivity uh, or, or, or see themselves depict, you know, I don't know what it was like for me when I was in college, the first time I saw a gay person on the real world on MTV, who wasn't a flaming, you know, limpy wristy, you know, you know, dressing or, or effeminate in nature type, but just seeing, in fact, I'm friends with the guy now, uh, Danny Roberts, who was just a, just a boy from Georgia who happened to like guys. I mean, I related to that in so many ways. That's what we're missing out on by, combing through these books and trying to, you know, eliminate them. And, and this is why, like, I'm so encouraged when I see people uh, pushing, you know, ban, you know, reading banned books, uh, you know, pushing, yeah. pushing that sort of movement. That That's where we are now. I almost feel like you're going to have to have organizations step up and say, um, okay, look, your school's not going to let you read that book there, but it's across the street right here yeah. at this cafe. You know, that's, that's uh, where we're at. Absolutely. One thing you talked about, Ron, that, they should be able to go in and go through every single book they have. Let me explain something to you. When a, school, <laughs> when a school, exactly. When a school opens, according to cognitive guidelines, they must have so many books based upon their student population. Mm-hmm. They're given money by their school system via the state to open the media center, but it's never enough. Mm. So what do they do? They have book fairs, they have fundraisers. And with that, the media specialist then gets a list that's put out by their counties that, you know, these books are up for sale, what would you like? And then the media specialist makes the decision and moves on. But here's the deal. You get a book like a school like Lasseter High School in East Cobb, 2,000 students. You get a school in West Cobb, like Hillgrove, 2,600 students. Mm. That media specialist would have to go through a library of at minimum 20 to 30 thousand volumes of books you can't do that (laughs) and with the supplemental policy we now have in uh, cobb county if i want to use a line from the book truman Mm -hmm. that where harry truman says his famous quote i don't give them hell i just tell the truth and they think it's hell Mm -hmm. that one little snippet now if i want to use that in my classroom as a social studies teacher that one snippet, I have to give the administrator the book one month in advance, oh and he or she has to read the entire book, not just the snippet, the entire book. That Truman book is 700 pages long. So what we're asking, we've gone overboard. Should there be a, a, a process in place? There is a process in place. If, a t- if somebody sees a parent... An adult child over an adult student over 18, an emancipated minor, or a uh, 
faculty or staff member at that particular school sees something that they find objectionable, they can file a library appeal form to the media specialist and the principal and the process starts. If a parent does it, they file a form, it goes to the principal, the process starts. But even like with Katie's uh, firing, where they didn't even allow enough time for them to read the uh, transcript, they had 10 days after the transcript was given to them. Mm -hmm. They held the hearing two days later. Right. Because their minds were already made up. Yeah. the minds, I mean, it, it was a done decision. Mm -hmm. Basically, the, the hearing was a dog and pony show. It made a lot of people rich. Um, but at the end of the day, for our LGBTQ students, there are books that can be life-affirming, that can be life-saving, right. that can tell them, okay, you're unique. You're you might not fit into the as as I am white, recovering Southern Baptist male, you know, individual, cisgender, straight. You may be a white gay male. And you know what? That's okay because nobody was born or woke up in this morning and said, I'm going to be gay today. Right. It is not something that happens. And these, these people need help because it was not up until, what, 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, you realistically could have a gay character on a television show. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we always, when I was growing up, we always laughed at uh, Uncle Arthur, who was played by Paul Lynn. Yeah. Nobody knew. I didn't realize as a five-year-old that was an act. Charles Nelson Riley on the match game. So the fact of the matter is we do need books like these in schools, and the media specialists do, you know, look through the things that is it age appropriate. Um, you know, read the inside cover. You know, check the reviews online before they order any of them. So there's a process. Our media specialists even go through this. But when you're talking about things such as this – to where there can be books, there can be supplemental teaching that might reach a child. It doesn't have to be LGBTQ. It could be a black child who is wanting to go into a white-dominated field. Mm. What's wrong with that? It could be teaching a Hispanic or an Asian child. It is okay to be an immigrant in this country, and you can still do great things. Um, but when we try to limit discussion, when we try to limit debate, when we try to censor what our kids are reading, at the end of the day, what type of message are we sending them? And there's always the statement, those who forget the past, I believe, are doomed to repeat it. Yep. Um, I don't think I said that correctly, but that's sort of what we're getting to. Because if I remember correctly, about 90 to 85 to 90 years ago, there was a country and a group of people that wanted the things their way, yep. and if you didn't act their way and do it their way, um, you were liable to be wiped out. Yep, you're and right. That's 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 terrifying. That you know, a minority of people can create such havoc. I tell that all the time. They call themselves the silent majority, and they're neither yes. silent nor the majority. All right. Listen, I appreciate you giving me some time to talk today. Jeff Hubbard with the Cobb County Association of Educators. Thanks for joining the Ron Show. Give us an update, and hopefully we'll see some brighter days if we can get some people to start running for some of these local offices in Cobb County. Elections matter, and we're already looking. All right. Jeff Hubbard, thank you so much for the time, buddy. Thanks, Ron, for having me back. Have a great day. You too. 
That does it for The Ron Show today. Catch us first, 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, or afterwards, wherever you podcast. See you tomorrow.